I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. Today, I have the immense honor of sitting down with Dr. Sylvia Earle, who, who's long been recognized as one of the world's top experts on ocean and science conservation. And, and Dr. Earle is the president and chairman of Mission Blue and National Geographic Explorer at Large. She really is one of those living legends uh, who's conquered more in her lifetime than, than most people could hope to accomplish in, in 10 lifetimes. And she actually was even named the first hero for the planet by Time magazine. So she's an oceanographer, explorer, author, and field scientist. And we dive all into some of the major groundbreaking discoveries she's made, some of the incredible things she's done, like like going down to 12,000 or 1,200 feet in sea level and, and what that's like to live in the ocean for a few weeks underwater, which is just crazy. Uh, she talks about her passions and, and curiosity and how that comes through and, and how we can instill that in not only ourselves, but our children as well just to, to spark more and the next generation of ocean explorers. So this is a really fun, interesting, wide-ranging conversation with Dr. Sylvia Earle. Anyone who's interested in investing in high-end art, I think you're going to want to listen up to the latest support of the podcast, and that's the company Masterworks. And Masterworks is an online investment platform valued at over a billion dollars, and they give everyone like you and me an opportunity to invest in high-end art. And when I say high-end art, I'm thinking about Picasso, Warhol, or Banksy. And this is an opportunity for all of us to get in on investments and potentially build generational wealth. And if you think about contemporary art, it has actually outpaced the S&P 500 by almost threefold from 1995 to 2020. And what Masterworks understands and what they do is they actually understand that investing in high-end art is really hard. And most of the time, you have to sell a major tech company or ransack a museum in order to have the ability to invest in these pieces. And what Masterworks does is they buy a piece of art, and then they file it, the work with SEC, sort of like filing for a public company IPO. And then we can buy shares representing an investment in that painting. And so Masterworks holds the piece, and when they sell, we would get a prorated portion of the profit. And I know people invested in Masterworks, and some of these early adopters saw a 32% return on a Banksy sale in 2020. So if you're interested in diversifying your investment portfolio and investing in high-end art, I think you'll want to check out Masterworks. So go to masterworks.io slash what got you there to get priority access to their exclusive community. Once again, that's masterworks.io slash what got you there. You can also see important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Are you looking for a delicious and healthy nutrition bar that is keto-friendly, low-sugar, and protein-infused? If so, look no further than New School Snacks, who's reinventing the low-sugar snacking revolution. 
Now, for me, health is one of the biggest things I think about, and eliminating the sugar from my diet is crucial, and that's why I love New School Snacks. So if you're one of those people who also want to change the way you approach nutrition and snacking, then head to NewSchoolSnacks.com for great deals on their collagen bar loaded with healthy fats from MCT oil, and while you're there, pick up one of their brand new mouth-watering French Toast Crunch Bars. That's NewSchoolSnacks.com. Dr. Sylvia Earle, welcome to what got you there. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing just fine. Glad to be on board. Yeah, on board, right? That is great. I, I love how we're going to explore so much and uncover a lot of what you've discovered throughout your life, uh, a lot of it underneath the ocean. But I would love to know, do you have an earliest childhood memory of, of when you realized, like when that light bulb went off, that your life's work was going to involve the ocean? <laughs> well, I I knew from the time I was in my first memories that I had to do something that dealt with nature, with plants and animals. And when I discovered that most of life on earth is actually in the ocean, that was it. <laughs> Why do you think it is? Why don't we understand just how much of life is actually in the ocean and we only focus on land or a lot of times now in, in outer space? Well, we're terrestrial by nature, even though I think of us as sea creatures, because we need the ocean as much as coral reefs and whales need the ocean. Without the ocean, we could not exist. Earth would not be what we now think of as this splendid living miracle in a universe that's pretty unfriendly to the likes of us. But we are blessed now in the 21st century with the ability to access the deepest places of the ocean, to benefit from being able to connect the dots in ways that we have also done for the land. This, this time, this era, since the middle of the 20th century, right up to the present time, has been the greatest time of really understanding the nature of the planet as a living system, not just rocks and water, and not just life as something that we can take and use as products or as something to eat, but as the critical elements that set Earth apart from any other place in the universe. And that now that we understand in ways that no other creature on the planet can understand, I mean, elephants are really smart. Dolphins, we know, are intelligent. Cats and dogs. I've even met some pretty smart fish, <laughs> but they don't have... The capacity that humans do to go high in the sky, deep in the ocean, to dive back in history and time, as geologists are able to do, to know, not just guess, but to have evidence of what Earth was like, not just centuries or even thousands of years ago, but millions of years ago, to look at the origin of Earth. What makes Earth special? How is it? that in all of the universe, we have what we have, a built-in life support system. You can't just hop out of a spacecraft on the moon and, and expect to breathe the atmosphere. There's not much of it anyway. Or to go to Mars, the atmosphere there is mostly carbon dioxide. We'd, we'd quickly die any place else in the universe except here. And why is it like it is? It's life, mostly life in the ocean, that has shaped 
the basic rocks and water that were the feature of the early earth to what we have in the 21st century. We need to take care of it. And we haven't known that, known that we can actually undermine uh, to, to change the nature of nature through our actions. This is truly the sweet spot in our history because we know what we could not know before and we're beginning to listen to the evidence, look at it and say, we have to hurry. You know, climate scientists say, looking back, how much we've done to transform the, call it the climate, if you will, the temperature and the chemistry of the planet and how little time we have to reverse course, to be able to go from decline to recovery. The next 10 years are truly critical, embracing nature as our strongest ally, the underpinning of what makes our existence possible. That came into focus at the climate conference in Glasgow, COP26. I was there as a witness and a participant in, in trying to understand what we can do right now that will cause us to recover at least some of what we've lost enough. Perhaps if we stick with it, embrace the natural systems as if our lives are dependent on it because they are and do what we can while we still can, while we still have, you know, 10% of the sharks, they're not all gone. We have maybe half the coral reefs. They're not all gone, but they are really collapsing fast. The kelp forests, the plankton in the ocean has declined perhaps as much as 40% since the middle of the 20th century. That's scary because that's, that's the place, these great ocean forests of micro forests of life that generate oxygen, capture carbon, drive the great ocean food webs, the carbon cycle in action, just as we worry and we should about clear cutting and burning forests on the land, but in the ocean, it's much larger, much more significant in terms of holding the planet steady. Sylvia, where did you develop this respect and love for nature? You seem to be built on on really strong values and love and respect. I'm just wondering, is this something you took from your parents? Yes. They <clears throat> allowed me as a kid to <laughs> ask questions. <laughs> You know, so many parents, they love seeing their child begin to to talk and to walk. And almost immediately, it's sit down and be quiet. <laughs> you know, show some discipline here. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's a good thing we have certain guidelines of <laughs> discipline. But on the other hand, to suppress curiosity is a big mistake. And but it is still there. It's one of the things that makes us human at any age to keep alive that that inquisitiveness to ask who, what, why, where, when, how, and and I think critically important, why not? Hmm. People will say, you can't do that or you mustn't ask that. And you have to just say, well, why not? And to and to get to the bottom of why we have these barriers or why we think the way we think 
Sylvia, one of the things I appreciate so much, you mentioned many different animals and, and how you see animals and how you see nature. Uh, I think so many people look, but they don't see where I feel like you look at the world through a different lens and a lens I wish more of us were looking at or looking through. And, and so I would just love to know, like when you're in the deep sea, you're, you're one with nature down there. What, what's going through your head when, when you come across some of these majestic creatures? Wherever we are, whether it's in your backyard, looking at life in the cracks in the cement in the city, just or seeing an amazing gelatinous creature that could only live in the ocean, and to just be like a child. Who are you? Where did you come from? How did you come to be? Tell me your story. What what's it like to be? <clears throat> A little creature that looks like nothing that occurs anywhere on the land. The power to create light, bioluminescence. What are your days and nights like? Well, in the deep sea, it's dark all of the time. But to appreciate the, their existence and to relate it to our own. Children do this quite naturally. And to find that child inside you, everyone, just begin to look at world the world through the eyes of others, including the eyes of other human beings who are living lives different from ours. Although we all have to eat, we all breathe, we all have families, we all care about our children, no matter who we are, where on the planet we live, find the common ground. Mm -hmm. When you come right down to it, the, the recipe for life, the chemistry of life that connects us all, from the tiniest microbe to the largest creature ever to live on Earth, we are connected. We have this common chemistry, the common need to consume life around us to foster our existence, but then we give back and to see how it all connects on the chemical level, on the social level, on the, the, the language of life. And to think that we need space, but so do other creatures, certainly our fellow humans. We need to think about how we can work together, not constantly competing or fighting for space, fighting for this, fighting for that, but Life on Earth has prospered because of collaboration, of community building. Look at a coral reef. It's not just about the corals. It's about the corals and the organisms that live within the tissues of corals that make both the existence of both possible. Symbiosis, collaboration, cooperation, occupying this amount of space with many creatures giving and taking so that there's mutual prosperity. Take any piece of it away and you alter the system. And we, we now live in a greatly altered global ecosystem that is causing serious decline of the very elements that make our existence possible. I think the two great miracles of life are this immense common ground, common chemistry, and the fact that every 
single coral polyp, every single coral colony, every single coral community is unique. Every human is unique. And every one of us has a community living within us, our, our biome, our microbiome. It's like a fingerprint. No two humans have the same collection of living systems within our system. They're cooperating to make our existence possible. We didn't know this when I was a kid. A lot of people still don't know it or appreciate the importance of treating our inner microbes that keep us alive as if we depend on them because we do. And we, we, we just are blessed with an aware, a knowledge. And now we need to be blessed with an awareness that takes that knowledge and puts it into action. Hearing you describe the beauty of the descent there, I, I just have to know you've seen so much of undiscovered terrain and even terrain that other people have been to. What for you has just been left you almost shocked in awe in terms of beauty that you've seen on this earth? Is there one most memorable thing that you've seen that you can just never forget? Well, I could say that it's looking into the eyes of my firstborn hmm. and the second. I have three children. And then to see my grandchildren come along, it's the continuity of life. And to see in the ocean that it's there's continuity of life there, too. And to relate my personal life, my family, the joy of having children and seeing them wake up to the, the extraordinary nature of, of our existence. Life is a miracle. And to take it casually, not to really be so thrilled that we have the capacity to, to see what other forms of life and even our own species have not been able to see until right about now. It's exhilarating. And to treasure every moment of it and not to not to be angry because of this or that or the other thing, but to just pull yourself together and think about, I am alive. I can look up at the stars and wonder. I can look at the ocean. I can look at my children. I can look at a tree. I can look at an insect and wonder, this is a miracle. And I'm so blessed to be able to take it in, to, to look at it and ask questions and take maybe maybe do something in my life that can contribute to this greater knowledge that is is unique to humans. And I don't know. I, I can't imagine people being bored given the capacity to do what we can do. Yeah, that was just in incredibly well said, and I, I entirely agree. It's looking through life at the, the beauty and magic all around us. And one of the things that you mentioned is finding like what's inside of each one of us individually. And, and I'm wondering for you, how that individual, that purpose, that love, like how did that come out? How did you discover that within yourself? Well, I think the ability in my lifetime to see how technology has enabled us to understand not the universe beyond that too, but the universe within, within the ocean, within the soil, within trees, but within ourselves, the existence 
of the microbes that aid in our digestion, the microbes within our bodies that facilitate the, the passage of, of nutrients that, that, <laughs> that keep us healthy, that make us who we are. Um, we think we're in control, but if you get a stomach ache, all of a sudden, wait a minute, our microbes are not happy. <laughs> it's a sort of a simplified way of putting it, but from the time, uh, even before we're born, we are benefiting from the micro, the microbes that live within our mothers and the, this web of microbial life. Some say microbes rule the earth, generating most of the oxygen, capturing the carbon, making the chemical processes that make our existence possible, that, that we, we're just beginning to open the door to asking those questions and finding answers to how, how can we live more compatibly, not with only with all of the natural systems that are driven by collaborations, by partnerships, by symbiotic relationships. How can we benefit from that? How can we become more of a positive presence on the planet instead of constantly destroying this web of life? Yeah, the, the way I think about that is just the framework is I want to be a great ancestor. I want, I want to leave this earth better than than, than I found it here. Um, especially, I, I have two young kids, and you just mentioned this childlike wonder. I went for a walk with my three-year-old son yesterday, and it was just like everything was just magical. And it's just yeah. like if we can just put ourselves in that state <laughs> just for a little bit each day, it, it's remarkable what it does. I mean, it's, it's exhilarating for me. I, you, you mentioned exhilaration a few minutes ago. I'm wondering for you, like – where do you have the most exhilaration with what you get to do? I mean, so many projects, so many discoveries. What for you is like your favorite piece of what you get to do for work? I'd have to say there's no favorite because it's just the exhilaration of discovery. Even in my backyard, we're growing artichokes here <laughs> in my backyard in California. You can't do that everywhere, but you can everywhere grow something or in a community, or go to a farm where things are grown. But because, you know, I have a chance almost every day, especially in 2020, when I didn't <laughs> leave very often, I watched artichokes that we did not consume turn into this amazing thistle flower, this purple blue. And then I saw bees come and walk around like a forest of, you think like a bee, and they're after the pollen, that is down in the flower and how they'd get in there and zoom around and take off with little packages of blue <laughs> sustenance attached to their legs. And, and then to look further and see there's this little spider looks like an carved out of ivory, a little spider that lurks in wait until an unwary bee comes close enough and the spider reaches out, and the bee becomes sustenance for the little spider. This whole ecosystem in the flower. <laughs> Unless I had, I mean, it was like a, wait, what's that? That, that bee just got grabbed. And I, and I hadn't seen it before. But knowing that these, these interactions are taking place right under our nose, right? And I keep going back to the cracks in cement in places like San Francisco, 
that moss is growing. But in the moss, there are those little creatures known as water bears, tardigrades, that are among the most resilient creatures on earth. When they dry out, as they sometimes do, they go into a dormant state that may last for years. But when rehydrated, they bounce back into life and start eating the stuff around them, mostly tiny little bits of whatever is available, organic material, and they start to reproduce, even though they've been quiet animals, little tiny animals that look like miniature, they're likened to little bears, little fat creatures with little legs. And they've been taken into space to because of trying to determine how resilient life can be in a foreign hostile environment. Anyway, <laughs> I go on. Life is, the world is alive and it's full of miracles no matter where you look. And certainly in the ocean, I really encourage everyone, even if you don't have access to a submarine, and I'm trying my best to work with engineers to, to democratize access to the sea by developing little subs that anybody can drive that can take kids or, or presidents or teachers or moms, dads, anybody into the ocean so they can savor the nature of this blue planet for themselves. Little submarines you can drive. So simple, even a scientist can drive them. <laughs> I know that because I've done it. And oh, even if you can't do that now or live underwater for weeks at a time, you can put a face mask on Freshwater, too, is filled with miracles. So rivers, lakes, ponds, be careful because we've done so much to poison our lakes, rivers, and ponds. But there's still some great places all over the land where you can go look at what the frogs are doing. Check out the underside of, of what you see on the surface. And in the ocean, you know, if you can get to a coastal area, or best of all, out in the high seas, far from land, to be able to dive in and to know that below you, that's where most of life actually exists in the cold, dark, beautiful, deep sea realms that we're just beginning to explore. Hmm. You can be part of the action. You mentioned being part of the action, Sylvia. I feel like we're we're incredibly lucky uh, with this show. Obviously, it's mostly adults that listen, but a lot of times they, they they report back that they've shared certain episodes with their children to spark curiosity. And, and I'm just thinking about, about the young Sylvia Earl listening. I mean, you, you've gone on to become Time Magazine's first hero of the planet. I mean, you really are a living legend. But I'm wondering, starting out, if you were talking to your younger self, what do you wish you had known then, or what would you have said? Imagine if the whole world had known what we now know, what would we do differently? Well, I would say you should try to learn as much as you can, as quickly as you can about the, the world around, around you. I, I think I did, but I was, I could only, my, my horizons were limited by what was then known that I was inspired by re reading William Beebe's example of diving with a little submersible down into the deep sea before I was born. And he's one of the very first to be able to do so. 
I read Jacques Cousteau. So reading books, I would say keep on reading books because <laughs> it really, unlike the, the glimpse you get with with the, the, the videos and, and, and the, the other means of communication, the internet, so important, so much richer, so much more information today. But to keep books, and, and I have, you can see behind me in this exactly. image. Massive library behind you, yes. It's <laughs> wallpaper in this house. And, and it's a source that I can go back to. But I, I would have done as much as, as I could to explore. And, and I did what I could under the circumstances, but I would have I would advise myself to be even more um, <laughs> out there, I suppose, down there, more time exploring nature. Imagine much of what I saw as a child is now gone. Mm. What I saw as a young oceanographer, I would have said, keep good notes, take photographs. You know, what I have kept have been so important to measuring change over time. I would advise my earlier self to do even more to record life as it occurred at that time, because change has happened so fast. And we're now relying on fragments of like snapshots of what the world was like, even in the 1950s. We should have done a better job of recording what we could of how many, how many squid there were as compared to how many there now are, because we have taken so many so fast and we've disrupted the nature of nature so quickly. If we could have just, you know, now we have to rely on by chance, people took pictures of fish that they took out of the ocean. And amazingly, now we can see how the size of fish has changed because of the records that exist, but we should have done a better job of keeping records than we did. We're, we're now, you know, doing our best to recover that understanding. What was the world like when your grandparents were children as compared to what it is like today? This is priceless information to measure and document change over time. But I would say to my younger self, what I say to kids today, be glad you're alive now. This is perhaps the most important time in all of human history, because we know more than was possible at any time in the past. We have a chance to really safeguard our existence by safeguarding nature. Hmm. So let's get busy and do it. Absolutely. You mentioned books, documenting, and pictures. It was fun. I was, I was getting to, to sit down and, and go through the behemoth new book you're, you're coming out with, Ocean, A Global Odyssey, and it's just filled with amazing pictures and stories. And I just want to know, because you're someone who's done so much, and an explorer, a scientist, an, an author, what's that like bringing all of those amazing things to life um, in this incredible book? In, in Ocean, A Global Odyssey, mm -hmm. it isn't just about my history of coming along at, at a point in time when we're learning more and losing more than ever before, but to tell the stories of visionaries, of scientists, of explorers, have profiles of who they are, what they've done, and how together we now know what we know about the nature of the ocean, the nature of the world, the nature of Earth in the solar system, in the universe, 
and to try to encourage those who pick up the book to think, well, they're just human beings. I'm a human being. Maybe I can do something too. <laughs> and I, I would, I hope that, yeah, I would absolutely love that yeah. for, for someone picking up the book just to spark and ignite that curiosity. I mean, we, we live on this earth and it's just a library of infinite discoveries and, and hoping that book leads to, to more of those. So I, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. I, I would love to leave with, with one final question though, Sylvia. And if you could do this long form conversation with, with anyone dead or alive, just not a family member or friend, who would you love just to spend an evening having a deep dive conversation with? <laughs> oh my goodness. There, there are so many. Um, but one individual who really did inspire me to look at the ocean with different eyes was William Beebe. I never got a chance to meet him, but as a pioneering scientist in forests on the land, he loved birds. He did a lot. He went to the Galapagos Islands when there were many more creatures in the sea and on the land than there are today. I'd love to have a conversation with him because like Bibi, I, I teamed up with engineers to develop little submarines, but using technologies, materials that did not exist with William Bibi. How I would love to go on a dive with him with a new submarine that is made of clear materials to be able to go and not just have to look through a tiny little porthole, but have the ocean all around so that it looks as though you, you, you can't feel the ocean because you're inside a little safe shell of, of one atmosphere. You don't feel the pressure like you do as a diver. And, and just to hear the delight that I'm sure he would express going deeper and, and staying longer using cameras to capture what he could not capture because cameras did not exist that could take pictures essentially in the dark. Um, in an expedition in 2016, I was able to take my grandchildren back to where I walked on the ocean floor in, in 1979. I did not have the ability to take pictures in the dark, but we had a new Canon 4 million ISO system that we could take pictures of bioluminescence. The same corals, the very same ones, because they live a long time, thousands of years, some of them, that produce bioluminescence. And to take my grandkids along to show what I had witnessed and reported on just using my eyes and storytelling, but we could document it. Imagine taking BB down to see the creatures he described for the first time as a human witness, but to see them in light of new knowledge and to anticipate and to dream with him what's coming, what, what the, will the next 50 years, even the next 10 years bring that will enable us to understand better. That would be such a treat. Speaking of such a treat, Sylvia, I, I just need to thank you. The, the love, the joy, the, the childlike curiosity and wonder, it just, it radiates out of you. And it truly is infectious, and it leaves me even wanting to go through today in this life just with a, a bit more of that love, that curiosity. So I just need to thank you for that. Uh, I heard someone once ask you uh, if you still dive, and and you <laughs> said, "I'm still breathing." And it was it was just such it was such a beautiful line. I thought because just like maintain that childlike wonder of everything. So so Sylvia, I just need to thank you so much for for joining us here on What Got You There. Uh, this this truly was an honor for me. So thank you. Thank you.
Let's go diving. Hmm. <laughs> you guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.